Thank you for moving upon our hearts already. And thank you that you are here, Lord. And we ask, God, that your spirit would speak to us, Lord. And that your word would just come alive before our very eyes. We ask, Lord, for the anointing of your spirit upon our time. Fill us now with your understanding, God. And help us to learn and grow this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I read about this lady. Her name is Camille Heron. She is a champion long distance runner. And when I say long distance, I mean long distance. She, uh, she actually runs like seven marathons a year. I mean, she likes to run. And I was reading some things about her uh, back in 2015 at the IAU World Championships. It was a 50K run. IAU stands for International Association of Ultra Runners. Uh, 50K race, about 39 miles. It was held in the Arabian Desert. Heron ran in the heat and the hot wind, winning the world title with a time of 3 hours, 20 minutes, and 58 seconds. Crazy. In November of 2017, Heron completed her first, now, 100-mile race. I didn't even think they would, anyone could even run that long. She raced the Tunnel Hill 100 in Illinois. She won with the fastest known time of 12 hours, 42 minutes, and 40 seconds. I cannot imagine. Can, I mean, how can you even run for 12 hours? That, that's just nuts. I don't like running, you can tell. But, but her most memorable win was in June of 2017 at South Africa's Comrades Marathon. It's actually an 89-kilometer marathon, which is about 55 miles. What happened was as Heron was, Heron was close to the end, she stopped running, mistaking this timing mat. And, and I was watching the video, just the way it looked like, I, I could mistake it too. She mistaked it for the finish. So she just stopped running, thought she had won. People were clapping, and to add to the confusion, someone had handed him some roses. People were, like, giving her high fives until the next male competitor came by, tapped her on the shoulder, and pointed to the actual finish line. She realized the mistake, took off sprinting the final 200 meters to wrap up the win. Even with stopping just short, of the finish line. She came in with a time of 6 hours, 27 minutes, and 35 seconds, winning the women's division. Amazing, isn't it? I, 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 can't, I can't believe someone would even run that far and that long. Well, I was thinking about how sometimes people are stopping just short of all that God has for them, just like uh, Camille did, you know, when she was mistaken about the finish line. But when we stop just short of all that God has for us, you know what happens? We miss out at what's at the finish line. Well, as we return to our study here in the book of Hebrews, the writer urges his Jewish readers to not be like Israel, who stopped following God just short of entering the promised land. So I titled our message for today, Stopping Just Short stopping just short. We're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 4 from verse 1 through 6 this morning. Hebrews chapter 4 from verse 1 through 6. We finished up the last chapter and we're moving on here, crossing over to chapter 4. So what happened? What happened to Israel? Well, this is our outline. Number one, they failed to believe. Number two, they failed to receive. And number three, they failed to leave. How you like that? It rhymes. Believe, receive, leave. All right? Let's begin here. Stopping just short. Number one in our outline, they failed to believe. They failed to believe. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. It reads here, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. We'll stop there. Now, we begin with the word, therefore, which connects us to the last chapter where we learn Israel's unbelief kept them from entering the promised 
land. And last week, the title of our message, The Hardening of Your Heart. You can grab the CD if you missed it. And remember, the writer was quoting Psalm 95, which brought up how that whole story, how that generation of Israel that came out of Egypt, came right up to the border, they never went in and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? Because of the hardening of their heart, because of unbelief. So as we cross over into chapter 1 and we get to verse 1, the writer says, therefore, in other words, in light of what happened with Israel, and then he says here in verse 1, and, and while the promise remains, what that means is while the opportunity to go into the promised land is still there, still there for us, the writer then says, let us fear. Now when he says let us fear, he's saying let us hold to this healthy fear to not do what they did and then come short of entering the land of rest. Now, the idea here is while the opportunity is still there for us, don't do what Israel did. Stopping just short, thus our title, of entering the promised land. And as we saw last time, it was the promised land of rest. Now, the promised land was a place of rest for Israel, right? It was a place of rest from the wilderness journey. It was a place of rest fully from the bondage of Egypt. And as I mentioned to you last week, uh, the rest here in chapter 3 symbolized the peace we have in God. That's what we saw last time. After we've been freed from the bondage of our Egypt, the sin in the world, we have now... We, we go through wilderness, but now we're in, in the promised land with the Lord and we have this inner peace that God is taking care of things. We have this trust and we're secure in that, that, that rest in Him, that God's power to conquer any giants in the land, any th- giants we face in the new land, we're going to be okay. So as I mentioned last time, the rest in the book of Hebrews, there's really three types of rest. And last time, what we saw was the present rest the rest that we have after we come to the lord as we're walking here on the earth and our relationship with him every believer should experience the present rest well there's another rest that we find in hebrews and as i mentioned last week there's also the eternal rest the rest that comes when we finally go home to heaven and we're going to be seeing that next time as we move our way into chapter 4 but here in this first part of chapter 4 the writer actually switches to what i call the salvation rest so understand last time that was the present rest the rest we can have in the lord the peace of god inside us as we live this life here on earth next time we're going to see the eternal rest but today in this section we're going to see the salvation rest and as we will see salvation rest is the rest in the work Christ did on the cross. So I'm going to put that out up front right now because as we go on this passage, keep that in mind that the rest talked about here speaks of the salvation rest and this will help you make more sense in what is going on in this passage. This passage is really difficult to interpret but I'm going to do my best and hopefully today after when you go you will understand these verses. All right. So the writer starts out saying, hey, while the opportunity is still there for us, don't do what Israel did, stopping just short of entering the promised land rest. And we're talking about the salvation rest. Look at verse 2 now. It says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, and being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So the writer goes on and says, Look, Okay, the gospel. You guys know the gospel. The gospel means good news. So he says that good news of deliverance in Jesus Christ was clearly like preached to us. We heard that message from the Lord, which is actually similar to the message that is Israelite heard as well as them, he says. And, but it's similar in a way in this sense. It's similar to the message of deliverance and rest given to the Israelites. But that message to the Israelites did not, it says here, profit them. In the NLT, it translates this, did them no good. And why is that? 
Why is that? Well, he says here in verse 2, well, it's because not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So the Israelites back then, and they had a similar message of deliverance uh, and rest. What happened was that they didn't put it together with faith. They didn't hear the message, mix it in with faith, and then respond to that message in that way in faith. They heard the message. They had knowledge of the word, but they never put faith in God concerning the promised land, that land of rest. So you know what? They failed to believe. Thus our heading in our outline right now. They had the knowledge. They, they heard it from God, but they did not take it farther in faith. They didn't apply it. They didn't do nothing with it. I was thinking about it this way. Say it like you're driving down a mountain and you're going down the highway and that highly miley light turns red. You ever had that happen to you? I hate that light. I hate it. It's like, do I go? Do I stop? You know, kind of when you're right at that point, right? So you're coming down and, and uh, um, uh, if you're going too fast, then that's a problem. But as you're coming down, the light turns red. But you know what? You ignore it. You say, ah, whatever. And you blast through that red light. Well, after the police pull you over and you show your license and registration, say you hand the officer your, your Hawaii driver's manual that you saved ever since you took the driver's test. Remember that manual, right? And, and remember studying that? Say you had it in your glove compartment. You pulled that out and, and, you, and you say, hey, here you go, officer. And he's like, what? And you tell him, just ask me anything. I'll give you the answer. Just anything you want. Anything from the book. I'll, I'll give you the answer. I know the book. I know it. In and out. I know everything in there. But will that get you out of the ticket? No. No. It actually makes you more accountable, right? So think of it that way. Just knowing what, what the law says, what the driving laws are and all of that. Just knowing it doesn't cut it, right? What you need to do is apply that knowledge and that's what's important. The knowledge of the truth is of no advantage until you actually believe it. Until you actually put faith in and Until you actually give yourself to that knowledge. And so that's the idea. They, they didn't mix that knowledge with faith. So that's why, look at verse 3 now. Verse 3 says, For we who have believed do not enter that... I'm sorry. For we who believed do enter that rest. As he has said, So I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now stop right there. The rest of the verse we're going to take in the next section. But right here, he's saying, the writer's saying, Those who have truly believed, put faith in the knowledge that is given to them, they do enter the rest. And what is the rest we're talking about here? Salvation rest. But those who don't truly believe, and then he quotes Psalm 95.11, which he mentioned last chapter again, they sh- I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So those who don't believe, they're not going to enter this rest like the Israelites did in this example that he brings up. They're not going to enter into the salvation rest. So you think about that, right? The knowledge of the gospel, of what God has given us, what Jesus has done. If we put faith in that, then we enter the salvation rest. But if we don't believe in that, you're not going to be saved. You're not going to enter into that rest. Now, for a moment, take a look at this word believed here in verse 3. Believed. You ever wonder about that word believed? What does that really mean? I mean, believed. Well, in the New Testament, when you see the word believed, it, it, it means this. It, 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 it's a big word. I mean, it means many things. And, and let me try and give it to you. It means to fully trust in. It means to totally rely upon. It means to be committed to. That's a lot already, right? It speaks of embracing in your mind with all of your heart the truth so much so it affects the act of your will. That's what believe means in the New Testament. So when we talk about believing in Jesus, that's what it means to trust in Him, to rely upon Him, be committed to Him, to embrace Him in our mind, in our heart, and that affects the act of our will well with that kind of believing those who do believe like that they enter the salvation rest but those who don't believe like that don't 
So you understand how, how huge this word is, what it means to believe. Because sometimes they think, well, yeah, I believe. I believe. And you know, James actually addressed this. Think of how in James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So think about that. Satan believes there's God, right? Satan believes in, that there's Jesus. Uh, the demons know. They, they know there's God and Jesus and all that. They believe. Satan and his demons believe God is real, but they're not saved, right? They don't have salvation. Why is that? Because they may have that knowledge, but they're not willing to truly believe. They're not really willing to give themselves totally to God and Jesus. So you understand there's a difference here. So when he's talking about believe, he's talking about believe. He's talking about a wholehearted embracing everything of who Jesus is. And that's how salvation comes. What the writer points out here is this. And this is our point. Be careful to not stop short like Israel, but respond to God's message with faith. Be careful to not stop short like Israel, but respond to God's message with faith. During uh, World War II, between uh, 1940 and 1941, Germany uh, bombed England like every day. The newspaper uh, named this the Blitz, the German Blitz. It was during that, during that time, one of those bombings was coming one of the 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 german bombers were bombing and a father carried his boy as they quickly sought shelter they jumped into this deep hole uh they sought sought shelter in this hole well the father climbed down and left the boy and then he instructed the boy to jump into his waiting arms but i can't see you shouted the boy The father looked up against the sky tinted with red by the burning buildings all around and called to the silhouette of his son and said, But I can see you. Jump. And what did the boy do? He did. You guys, that's a picture of faith. That's a picture of what faith is. The boy believed in the father's message. I'm going to catch you. Jump. I'm right here. The boy trusted that the father would catch him. And the boy relied upon the ability of the father to save him so do you understand be careful not to stop short like israel but respond to god's message with faith that's what the writer is saying here hey respond in faith don't be like them who didn't that's how the heavenly father is to us isn't he he sent his son jesus to save you you know the message but let me ask you when will you really believe in jesus Faith, in essence, is to abandon yourself to God. It it means to completely allow Jesus to be your Savior. And even this thought of this abandonment to the Lord, I mean, even speaks to me as a Christian already. I mean, it makes sense, right, that we need to be fully trusting Jesus. So those of you who already are saved, think about this. I mean, are you really believing Jesus in your life? And what he said in the message, are you, are you ready to just jump into his arms even though you can't see what's down there? I like what John Wesley said. He said it well when, when he said this, to believe on Jesus is casting yourself with a reckless abandon on the grace of God. I love that. That's the kind of believing that brings us to God and brings us a life-changing event. So, the Israelites, they're stopping just short. How? They failed to believe. Let's go on to number two here. Number two, they stopped stopped just short. How did they do it? They failed to receive. Number two, they failed to receive. Hebrews chapter 4, look at the second part of verse 3 now. It says, Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for Verse 4, For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Okay, we'll stop there. Now, the writer goes on here saying that this salvation rest is like the works of God that were finished at the foundation of the world. What's he talking about? He's talking, it refers to the time of creation, way back in Genesis 1. 
For at that time, God is spoken, verse 4, in a certain place, he's saying, in other words, in Scripture, he said that on the seventh day of creation, it says God rested, basically, from all his works. Now, we understand that. Remember on the seventh day of Genesis 1 and 2 and also that he, it says, well, he, he rested. You know, on the seventh day, he rested. It was all done. So we understand it. Back in creation, the writer's bringing up that God, he rested on that seventh day. Well, why did God rest? Was he tired? Was it a lot of work for him to create the whole world and man and women and everything in that? No, that's not what it is. When God rested, it speaks of how that God had finished his work. He rested because he finished everything that needed to be done. There was nothing else left to do. So the idea here, salvation rest, is similar to the time of creation when God rested. It was a rest of completion when God rested on the seventh day. You know what's interesting in uh, Genesis 1, and if you read that again, 1 and 2, is that uh, you, you find it say, like say in Genesis 1, it says that after the first day he created, and then after the first day of creation, it says, so evening and morning were the first day. By the way, that's a term of, uh, that counts one day. The day ended, basically. Then after the second day of creation, God did his thing. And then it says, so the evening and the morning were the second day. And then on the third day, God did his creating. And then it says, so the evening and the morning were the third day. And it keeps going down, on, on, keep going on in his creation, so on and so forth, all the way to the six days of creation. But when you get to the seventh day, you know what? There is no evening and morning where the seventh day. There's nothing like that. It, it, it doesn't say, basically, the day ended. And you know what the rabbis say, the, the Jewish scholars and all? They say, well, it's not there because God is still resting. In other words, it's all done. God is finished. God's at rest. Creation is complete. It's a rest of completion so in this rest of god it it was like he was saying at creation it was like he was saying i've made a perfect and wonderful world for man and woman to leave in for adam and eve i've given them everything they could ever need in this paradise and then god's saying and most important you know what we have a perfect unbroken fellowship we're together We're, we're, we're we have this relationship now It's all complete. I've done everything for them. They can rest in what I've done. So so that's the idea here. Salvation and rest is similar to the time of creation when God rested. It was a rest of completion. So keep that in your minds. Well, then he goes on. He goes on here in verse 5. The writer then says in verse 5, he says, And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. So, as he goes into verse 5, after he's saying, hey, you know, God, remember, it's similar salvation rest. It's similar when God rested in the seventh day. He says, let me bring up again, though, what the scripture says in that place, not Psalm 95, 11, where it says, they shall not enter the salvation rest. Why is that? Because of lack of faith. All right, well, what's a writer saying? It seems like he's like shifting gears here. Well, the idea is this. Completion was complete once God finished. There was nothing left to do. And you find the same in salvation rest. In Jesus, there's nothing left to do. But, this is what he's saying in verse 5, without putting your faith in what Jesus did, you shall not enter my rest, my salvation rest. Now, keep in mind, this letter is written to the Jews, right? Believing ones and even those who heard the message and they heard the gospel already and they're right there thinking about it. And, and so, you know, some are about to turn away. Some of the believing Jews, well, they've been persecuted. They've been tempted to go back to their old Jewish ways, right? Their family's like, what are you doing, Jesus? What? You're leaving, you're leaving our traditions. You're leaving what you grew up with. And so they're being pulled now. So the writer is saying, hey, Be careful to understand what it means to be saved. And how was the Jews looking at how, you know, how was it that they were to be saved? Well, following the laws, doing their rituals, right? 
the writer saying, hey, it's faith in Jesus that saves you, not the law. It's faith in what Jesus did, not your own works. So you understand that. You understand what's going on here, that the writer's like, hey, you know, just like creation was complete once God finished it, there's nothing else left to do. Well, that's what you find in salvation rest. The rest that I'm talking about is what Jesus did. There's nothing else you, you need to do. And that's the rest we have in salvation. We don't have to do our own works. We don't have to try and atone for our sins. No, Jesus did it all. And you can even bring in this thought. I mean, you can put it together here that, you know, when God created everything and, and he rested, it was all complete, it was perfect. Adam and Eve had everything they could ever want, a close relationship with God. But what happened? Satan came, Adam and Eve sinned, right? Tempted them, they sinned. And then what happened? They lost that relationship with the Lord. So what did God do? Well, God in His grace and love for us, put a plan in place to restore that relationship, to restore our fellowship with God, that that people, men men and women, can have a relationship with God once again. And that's why Jesus came, right? That's why Jesus came to the earth, offered Himself up as our sacrifice for our sins, so that through what He did, we can be saved. And in the final moments, when Jesus was hanging and dying for our sins on the cross, you know what he cried out and said? Do you remember? He said, it is finished. Yeah? Tetelestai. Paid in full. Which means our redemption is what? Complete. Complete. Now there's nothing else for you and I to do. There's nothing else that we need to, like, do ourselves to be saved. God did it all. And that's what the writer's talking about, salvation rest. So let's bring Israel in here. The problem with Israel was God was gifting them the promised land. Yeah? Go into the promised land. Hey, it's for you. I promised it to Abraham. I promised it to people. I've been promising to Jacob and Isaac. Hey, and, and, and we're here. They're right at the border. And this is for you. He was going to do all the work, conquering the land. He was going to defeat the giants in the land and everyone for them to give them this land that he promised. But they did not believe. They did not have the faith, you know what, to accept the gift. So they failed to receive what God was offering them, the opportunity to enter into the land of rest. Well, that's us today. That's what the writer's comparing. You know what? In the same way, if you don't put your faith in Jesus and accept His gift of salvation, you'll never enter the salvation rest. Does it make sense? No more work is needed. Not by us. Not by anyone. Someone can't pay for your salvation. You can't pay for it. There isn't anything you could do that, that will pay or get you into heaven. All of that. It's not that. Salvation is because of all that what Jesus did. And we receive that by putting our faith in what he, he did. I mean, take a look here. Uh, if, if, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians or turn over to the left to Ephesians chapter 2. You can look, I think they're going to put it on the screen too. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. We know this verse, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. You should have it. Uh, highlighted. You should memorize this verse because it's a foundation to our Christian walk and it is a way to share with other people the work of Christ and what he did in the cross. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. It's God's grace giving it to us. We don't deserve it. But we receive it. We receive it how? Through faith. And then it says, and that not of yourselves. You know what it's saying? You can't get any credit yeah, for salvation. You cannot, it, it, it's nothing you've done or deserve. That's what he's saying. It's not of yourselves. It is what? The gift of God. It's a present. It's, it, it's, it's this gift. He just gives to you because of his grace. And we receive it how? By faith. By faith we receive this. I mean, think about it. If, 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 if um, uh, when my kids gave, gave me my birthday present, wouldn't it be like, what if I said, okay, how much is it? I'll write you one check. Right? 
No, Dad. No, it's for your birthday. No, I know. That's okay, but I feel bad. I, I, I want to write you one check. Dad, it's a gift. You don't pay for a gift. You receive it, right? And Dad, you don't even deserve it either, but we're, we love you. We're giving it to you. But you understand, right? It's a gift. So you, for by grace, we have been saved through faith, that not of yourself, so you don't get any credit, and it is the gift of God. And then what? It says in the next verse, not of what? Works. It's nothing you do. It's none of your effort. It's nothing you earn. It's nothing like, okay, if I'm really, really a, a, a good husband, or I'm a really good wife, or I'm really, you know, a good child to my parents, or I'm a good worker, or, or if I give to the church, or, 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 I, or I help my auntie across the street, you know. None of that. No. No need. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. And I like that part because, you know, we might go heaven look, hey, I got in heaven because I did this. Yeah? But what is that? That's just pride. So you understand, there's no more work needed. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is very clear. And it connects, and you could go back to Hebrews chapter 4, it connects to what the writer's saying. Salvation rest is Jesus' work that he did for us. We don't need to do any of the work for our salvation. We just rest in Jesus. So what the writer points out in this section is this. Salvation rest can never be found except in the work of Jesus completed on the cross. Salvation rest can never be found except in the work of Jesus completed on the cross. Do you understand? That's what we believe. That's what we put our faith in. Do you understand that our salvation rest, I mean really resting like, oh, Oh, do I need to do something, Lord? Oh, oh. It can never be found except, you know where? In Jesus. And what he's done. His work completed on the cross. You know, I was thinking of it this way. I remember hearing once that, you know, if you go, on a, go to one of those fancy restaurants, you know, the white tablecloth kind, you know, the high dollar kind, and, 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 and say you, you go to the restaurant and you'll order some nice prime rib or steak or something, yeah, and they bring it to you. And if you start grabbing the condiments and taking that salt and the pepper and then ask the waiter, hey, you got some ketchup? <laughs> I heard, you're not supposed to do that. You know why? Because you're in danger of offending the chef, right? The chef. I mean, I mean it makes sense, right? I mean, if you go crazy and all of that, I mean, here the, the chef is taking great care in, in cooking your steak, yeah? Your primer. Great care in seasoning it and whatever, marinating marinating and whatever you did, right? Great care. And they're proud. They're like, oh, I did this for you. I hope you enjoyed They put it there and you're like, before even tasting, you go. <laughs> Don't you think they're going to be like offended, right? I mean, the chef himself, they're not going to give you some half-baked piece of meat, right? Right? I mean, if you're in a high dollar, no, they're going to do everything, right? Caring for this meal, doing everything. They won't leave anything incomplete. Well, that's exactly what is going on here. That's exactly what we're saying here. If you try to add your works, yeah, try to get in good with God. Oh, yeah, God, I got to get in good with you. So, yeah, you'll be pleased with me. No, he loves you already and he already sees Christ in you and he, he's pleased with you. Or we try and make sure I have this place in heaven. I don't know how many Christians I, I ask them. I say, so, uh, you think you'll go to heaven? Why do you think you'll go to heaven? They say, well, I don't know. I hope so. No, you guys. It's not up to us. That's what they're saying. They're saying, well, if I'm good enough or if I live right, I, I hope I go to heaven. No, it's Jesus Christ, our faith in him that brings us into heaven that gives us a place in heaven or sometimes maybe we fall into temptation and we sin right and then you're like oh jesus please 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 forgive me and you go and pray again please 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 lord forgive me you know and then then you think of well you know i'm gonna be extra good today Matter of fact, I'm going to read two extra chapters in my Bible this morning. Yeah? And I'm going to make sure I, I, I kiss my wife. I'm going to make sure when I go work that I'm really, you know, doing extra work. And the, even the boss doesn't even have to tell me what to do because I'm going to do extra stuff. Why are you doing that? To atone for your own sins, right? 
What does the Bible say in 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We just go to him. And, and he's, he, he, he's, he's faithful and just. How can he really forgive us of our sins? Because Jesus died on the cross for all your sins. That's how he forgives you. You know when we try and add the salt and pepper to our salvation? This is essentially what you're saying. You're saying, Jesus, thank you for you know, sacrificing your life on the cross, but it wasn't good enough. It was incomplete. So I'm going to put my stuff into it and make it better. Can you really make it better? Is that really right? Isn't it demeaning what Christ did for us on dying on the cross? I'll tell you what it is. It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of believing God's word and what he said. And it's not really putting your whole reliance on what Christ did. That's what it means, you guys, to believe, to embrace it all. That's what it means to receive this gift of the work of Christ on the cross. Will you, even as a believer now, fully rest on Christ's work? Will you stop trying to do more when it's all been done already? When the pioneer missionary John uh, Paxton was translating the scripture for the natives on the South Sea Island of Vanuatu. He went there as a missionary. And uh, he had a hard time. He was trying to uh, write the Bible in their language. And he was a hard time coming up with the, uh, the word for believe or faith in their language. He was just wrestling with it. And he wanted to accurately communicate the truth to, to them. But he just got stuck. Well, one day... This one of the natives came running upstairs to Paxton's study and flopped down on, onto the chair, totally exhausted from a, a long hunt in the jungle. Well, this native in his own language, this hunter said, basically in his own language, but he said, it's so good to stretch myself out and rest my whole weight on this chair. Well, with that, the light bulb went off in Paxton's mind, and he said, that's it. That's the word in their language. Faith is resting your whole weight on God. Believing is to rest on Jesus Christ to save you. And that translation brought Jesus to a whole nation to salvation on that island. Listen to how that sounds like in Acts 16.31 with Paxton's translation. It says, stretch yourself out and rest on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Or, or how about John 3.16? with Paxton's translation or word for it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever stretches out on him and rests on him for salvation shall not perish but have eternal life. I love it. You get the idea? That's salvation rest. That's what Israel didn't do. That's what the writer's saying we got to do so we don't stop short. They failed because they didn't believe and they failed because they didn't receive that in faith. Receive the work of God. Well, let's go to number three now in our outline. They failed to leave. They failed to believe. They failed to receive. And number three now, our last verse, they failed to leave. They failed to leave. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6. Our last verse. The, the writer says, Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. All right. The writer is saying, Since God's salvation rests, it, it, it remains. It's still available to, to all of us, and it's still available to all. Therefore, he's saying, There's going to be some who will enter in. And, and I like, if you think about it, I like this thought because it's kind of saying that God didn't give up. Yeah. He left the opportunity open just because Israel didn't take it. You know, he went farther, sent Christ, and still it remains this opportunity. In other words, God's door is still open to anyone who would want this salvation rest. Don't miss the opportunity here. And he's going to flow on into verse 7. Take a peek. We'll see that next time. But he says, uh, the second part of verse 7, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's like, it's still there, guys. Don't harden your hearts. Today, take that opportunity. 
Well, then, in the second part of verse 6, the writer adds, But remember how those that were first preached to, and who's that? The Israelites, and they were preached to in the wilderness, says they did not enter the rest. And why is that? Well, he says here, because of disobedience. A lack of faith, understand, leads to disobedience. They, they did not do what God asked them to do. To believe Him, to have faith in His Word, His promise, to trust Him and go into the promised land. They disobeyed God in that way, and so they didn't find rest. So the idea here is God asked Israel to believe in Him and go from the wilderness and step into the promised land of rest. But they failed to leave. That's our heading. They failed to leave the wilderness and step in obedience to what God wanted them to do. I like something Warren Wiersbe said. It is by obeying God by faith and surrendering to his will that the rest enters into us. Isn't that good? Let me read that again. I think it's on the screen. It is by obeying God by faith and surrendering to His will that the rest enters into us. So they failed to leave. Israel failed to leave. The the doubts that they carried in the wilderness, they failed to leave. They failed to leave the desires to go back to Egypt. They failed to leave the idols that, that they carried with them and made in the wilderness. They failed to leave the fears they held in the wilderness. So Israel did not obey God and enter in to what God wanted them to do. They did not surrender to God's own and do what He wanted them to do, to enter into the rest. So they failed to leave the wilderness and you know what? They stayed there 40 years. Well, our last point here this morning is this. Stepping by faith into the promised land must involve obediently leaving the wilderness behind. Stepping by faith into the promised land must involve obediently leaving the wilderness behind. you got to leave the wilderness and step into the promised land. You can't stay in the wilderness. If you do, you won't get into the promised land, right? I mean, you can't be there and you can't be here, right? you got to obediently leave the wilderness behind and step into the promised land of rest. You know, this week I got the strangest call on my cell phone. I mean, when it rang, and I don't know how many, you know, when it rings, you kind of look at the caller ID, right? I mean, if, you have a, if it's in your hand, if you have a chance, you go, oh, and you look at who's calling. Well, when my phone rang, I look at the caller ID, and you know what? The caller ID said, you know how it says who's calling? The caller ID said, Rick Nagura. I was like, what? What? Wait, wait, what's, what's, what's going on here? It said, Rick Nagura. Now, I know that's a scam. I mean, I know nowadays that scammers, they can spoof, um, you know, telemarketers, they can spoof the caller ID, right? Have you gotten those? I mean, before it's like, Jamaica? You know, right? And my phone's saying, Jamaica? What? That's a scam. But then now it's an 808 number, right? And you pick it up. Oh, telemarketer, what? You know, so they can spoof the ID. But here, they spoof the ID to say my own name. And I'm like, what? This is so obvious. You know, I don't know. Maybe they're trying to bait you to pick it up because you're going, wait, what's going on? And you answer the phone. Then, you know, they give you their spiel and everything like that. Maybe I was kind of joking with myself. Oh, maybe it's an alternate reality. And another version of myself has have broken through is calling my cell phone to warn me of the future that is about to come. No, I, I don't. You know, but you know, it's kind of funny. I mean, or you know, that thought. Well, maybe I'm just trying to you know get a hold of myself and you know talk to myself and tell me, Rick, you need to follow the Lord better. You know, I mean, but it's it's crazy. What Rick Nagura is calling Rick Nagura's phone? You know, it's a scam. We know that. Why? Because you cannot be at two places at one time, right? You cannot. You cannot be. Well, that goes with our, 
with the spiritual side of things, you guys. You cannot be in two places at one time. You cannot be in a promised land. You cannot be in a wilderness at the same time. You cannot be constantly living in a worldly way at the same time thinking, I'm okay. I'm okay with God. I'm in the promised land. You cannot be habitually in sin and immorality and think that I'm in the land of rest here. You cannot be in the wilderness. You cannot be in a promised land. You cannot be there at the same time. Or perhaps, maybe for you, you're constantly in doubt of what God can do in your life. You're not in the promised land. Maybe you're habitually doing what you desire and not doing what God would like. You're not being obedient. Maybe you're fear, filled with fear that God's not ex- going to accept you. And, and oh, I don't know, you know, He doesn't love me. And you feel like He doesn't really love you. Well, you're in the wilderness, you guys. You're in the wilderness. Those things are of the wilderness. You're not in the promised land. Do you want out of the wilderness? Believe in Jesus. Believe in who Jesus is and and what He's done and receive that. Accept the gift that He's given to you. Leave the wilderness. Move forward in your life. Put your faith, your whole weight on Him. Be obedient to leave the wilderness and all those things behind. Leave the doubt. Leave the fear. Leave the desires of Egypt. Leave the sin behind. Leave the idols of the world and step in faith, in obedience, into God's promised land. That land of salvation rest. Do you understand what the writer's saying here? I mean, sadly, these Israelites in the wilderness, you know what? They're like many people who failed to believe, failed to receive what Jesus did in dying on the cross, and failed to leave the, the wilderness of sin and the world behind. So they never made it. Even after coming so close, even after being right on the border. But you don't have to do the same thing. You can enter in. Believe. Receive. Leave, leave the world. Leave that, that past old life. And move forward in God. Don't make the same mistake of quitting too soon. I'll close with a story I was reading about Florence Chadwick. She was the first woman who, to swim the English Channel. That's 23 miles from France to England in 1950. And then she did it again in 1951. She swam again, this time from England to France. 23 miles. Well, in July, of, uh, July 4th of 1952, at the age of 34, Florence Chadwick attempted to be the first woman to swim 21 miles from Catalina, Catalina Island off the coast of California to Palace Verde on, on the coast of California. The weather that day was not good for swimming. The ocean was ice cold. The fog was so thick that she could hardly see the support boats that were following her. Also, it wasn't a good day because the crew was, had to use a rifle several times to drive away the sharks that got too close as they were trailing her. After 15 hours and 55 minutes, minutes, she gave up. She was done. She asked to be taken out of the water. Well, when she got in the boat, and that, to her surprise, sad surprise, she had only half a mile to go. She stopped just short of her goal. Later, she had commented to a reporter, Look, I'm not excusing myself. But if I could have seen land, I might have made it. But you know what? That didn't stop her. Two months later, she tried again. The conditions were pretty much the same. Ice cold water, the fog. But this time, she made it. She made it actually in 13 hours and 47 minutes. She broke a 27-year-old record and became the first woman to complete that swim. They say, you know what, on that attempt, She still couldn't see the shore because of the fog. But this time, she kept reminding herself that the land was there. You guys, the land is there. The promised land of rest. You may not see it right now, but God promises that it is there for you. 
You know what? Maybe you have failed. Maybe you, you, you have in your life just come short. Maybe you failed before, but get back in. Get back there. Put your faith in what Jesus did. Believe it, receive it, and leave the wilderness behind. Don't give up. Don't give in. Reach for it in faith. And don't do what Israel did with the promised land. Stopping just short. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes we can't see the land, Lord. Sometimes it's hard for us in our situations and how we feel. Sometimes in our own perspective, we feel like Chadwick here, just in an ocean treadmill, going nowhere. We, We want to give up. But Lord, we believe in you. We believe the land is there, God. And Lord, we believe and want to receive the work that you've done for us, Lord. Help us to leave behind the wilderness, God, and help us to move forward in our lives. Help us to come to that salvation rest. I mean, a true rest. I pray for those here, Lord, those Christians who have really never understood this fully and sometimes still struggle with trying to atone for their own sins or doing good works when, Jesus, you've done it all. When you said it is finished, it was finished. Lord, may we receive and believe the truth that we've learned today. And may we, Lord, dust, get up, dust ourselves off, Lord. Ask for forgiveness and step back in to this race, Lord, we're running for you. Lord, I pray for those that have never received you, ever, God, and that Lord, I know you're speaking to them, and I pray, Lord, that they would accept you as their Lord and Savior and be saved today and enter into that salvation rest. Pray for those who have maybe stopped just short, that they would come back, but this time cross the border into the promised land. If you're here this morning and Perhaps God has been really speaking to you. You feel the Holy Spirit. You feel the words of His Word just jumping out at you. And you want to give your life to Christ. You want to recommit, rededicate yourself to Christ. Maybe you're still in the wilderness, but now you see that you need to be obedient and have faith and step into the promised land. I want you to stand up right now. Stand up and, and show the Lord that I want to, I want to accept you. I want to receive you. Stand up and say, Lord, I want to leave the wilderness behind. I don't want to be stopping just short anymore. Just stand up right here, right now. Anyone here? Lord, I pray for us all. Believers, Lord, that Christians, Lord, that we would take these truths, find confidence in you in our walk. Find security and find that rest, the salvation rest, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for what all you've done for atoning for my sin, all our sins, Lord. Thank you, God. You are so incredible and so wonderful. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together.